Welcome back, everybody, to the Brubble Podcast, a podcast gathering young voices and perspectives from in around the Brussels bubble. Today, we have a bit of our Christmas special or, you know, end of year wrap up, our roundup episode, where we're going to be going over the top 10 most important political stories from in and around the Brussels bubble, as I mean, we're situated here. So the way it's going to take form is that each one of us has compiled a 1 to 10, top 10 list of 1 being the most important story and 10 still being important, but not quite as important as number 9. You get the idea. We haven't seen each other's list. We're going to present our list, give our reactions, and then collectively make a top 10. And if this sounds confusing, just stick around, I promise. It's pretty easy. But before we get into it, we have to introduce ourselves. If you've been watching a bit, maybe you know us, but maybe not. Should we start on the left-hand side? And there's Zhao. Okay. Thank you. Um, so my name is João Pontes. I'm Portuguese and I'm working as a policy assistant in, at DigiGrow, the European Commission. I deal with the recovery and resilience plan and the European semester. I would like to say to you all, please stick with us because this one is going to be amazing. I'm really looking forward to it. There we go. Julian, who are you? What do you bring to this world? Who am I? What do I do? <laughs> Hi guys, I'm Julien Oez. I'm a French political specialist who focuses on geopolitics and European political behavior. And I'm also a uh, representative for Emmanuel Macron's party, Renaissance, here in the Benelux. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to this episode. It's going to be a fun time, even if there are questions about what it is I do in general. <laughs> but uh, it's going to be fun. Yeah, you're always the French expert in the Brussels bubble, I suppose. And we <laughs> always have opinions. There we go, there we go. Yeah, and uh, I guess it's gotten to me. I'm Simon. I am uh, I'm not affiliated with a political party. I work for Microsoft here in the Brussels bubble in government affairs, and I'm Dutch-Canadian, so I bring some transatlantic perspective is what I like to call it, and I uh, kind of host this podcast of ours. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, my name is Nikos Terdosiadis. I'm 25. I, I come from Greece. I work in the European Commission as well, in the Secretariat General, uh, writing briefings for the President, the Vice Presidents, and the Secretary General. However, here I come to speak uh, out of my own accord uh, and just share some thoughts with friends. I also couldn't wait for this one and can't wait to, uh, to get started on this. I think it's going to be really fun, 2022, a year with uh, an insane amount of political developments that really took me just a few hours to sit down and try to mentally map everything. So we unfortunately only had to pick 10. These are not the only issues that have marked the world, but uh, I can't wait to hear. Uh, so with each prepared a top 10 list, should we go for the table? Do you want to start, Nikos? Because I, I came to you last. Yeah, why not? Take a few seconds, go for your top 10, one being the most important, 10 being you know, still important, but not as important as number nine, uh, as people understand it. Um, you'll read through it, take a few seconds, and then I'll read through mine, et cetera, et cetera, and we'll get some reactions as you go along, you know? <laughs> So uh, I, I want to reiterate that this is not an exhaustive list and it's not a top 10 list uh, based on certain objective criteria. This is fully subjective. So please just roll with me. So for those uh, who may have heard uh, episode one and two, you won't be surprised by number 10. So developments in the Eastern Mediterranean. And I am very happy to uh, analyze that more once we start talking. So that's number 10. Number nine. Um, Elon Musk's acquisition of Twitter, which is sort of ongoing, but it's definitely an interesting uh, story to, to see unfold. Um, then I'm going to say the whole uh, saga with uh, the funding cuts uh, of Hungary on the basis of uh, the rule of law, as well as the recovery and resilience plan. Uh, for number seven, I've put Brazil, Brazil elections 
plus. The reason I put the plus was because they weren't the only really important elections, and I'm going to get uh, to that in a bit, but I think they, they had uh, massive, yeah, massive global ramifications. Then we had <coughs> the midterm ele uh, elections in the U.S., the red wave that uh, sort of came but never really did. Um, number five, I'm going to go with uh, food uh, security or insecurity. Uh, number four, big, big and historic developments in the Chinese Communist Party and the Congress that they held uh, at their uh, for, for the 20th uh, National Congress. Um, number three, uh, NATO expansion. Uh, number two, energy insecurity, and this one is predominantly for Europe. I think this yeah. one is clear bias towards Europe, but I understand that. And number one, I think we can all agree that the war in Ukraine has yeah. had shattering ramifications all across the world. I like your list. I, I will admit there are some hot takes in there, because uh, I, I made a little graphics for this as we go along. I didn't put Brazil in the top 20. Yeah, I noticed, and, and you didn't even put it as like extras. I had it in extras, but I think I forgot to put it down the list, so it was on my mind. Okay. But yeah, I like how you made it all the way to number seven in yours. Any, any initial reaction to his list, too? <laughs> Julian, you seem appalled by almost... No! <laughs> uh, that's just me being French and being very aggressively disappointed with <laughs> everybody all the time. But, um, no, it's just, I'm, I'm quite surprised that the, the National Congress of the CCP made it so high, actually, because... I, I agree with you on this one, though. I will I, say. I won't, I I won't understand back. why. Because I don't think it was actually that important, to be honest. My logic to defend this for you, sorry to jump in, Go is that it. for me it represents all the Chinese developments happening this year. As it's really the, the consultation, the cons consolidation of Xi Jinping's power that really happened in that ceremony. The, the consolidation, but also like the zero COVID policy. Yep. And now what we're seeing, which is basically protest in China for the first time in a very, very long time, um, so let's hear out your, your list first and then we can get into this. Don't worry. I'll, I'll, I'll do mine first. I'll do mine first. Before it goes along like this, you know, don't forget the somewhat Canadian man here. I'm uh, just really surprised, Nikos, that you picked the war in Ukraine as your first option. I know, right? <laughs> 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 I, I, I think that's <laughs> foreshadowing and I don't like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one thing I am surprised about your list, you forgot one. I said this list is not exhausted. Okay, okay. You'll, you'll see, you'll see. Um, so for my number 10 is Hungary, the rule of law violations. I agree on that side. My number 9 is the 20th, uh, the 20th National Congress of the Chinese Communist Party. I was tempted to put it higher, but I was thinking from the bubble perspective, you know. My number 8 is one I forgot to give to you guys because it only become popular in the last few days. The Inflation Reduction Act of America. Ooh, okay, I like that. Which, yeah. you see, well, I'm still in well, well, foreshadow. <laughs> uh, number, my number seven is food security. Uh, my number six is the conference in the future of Europe. Because I think that has some interesting developments, which, which will play out for the decade to come, to be honest, in my opinion. Um, so I'll give Macron some props here. <laughs> my number five is NATO expansion. My number four is inflation. Uh, my number three is EU enlargement, which did not even get a mention in the side of the but table. did we really enlarge? I mean, not yet, but we... I mean, we accept the new candidate states. I think that's pretty important. A number number two is energy security. And number one is Ukraine, or the Russian war of aggression against Ukraine. <laughs> I just sense your collection here of your thoughts. No, no, I'm just, you've actually made me reconsider my own list, actually. <laughs> that, that's, that's why, I'm a, before you reconsider, 
Give me your list right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Don't give him time to think. The Inflation Reduction Act is actually a really good... Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I should have actually thought of that myself. No, no, no. I, I actually thought about that, but let's... My, yeah. It only came up in my thinking, I think, yesterday or so, because mm. that's when the real headlines yeah, started it's breaking. Up, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, as we read The Economist today, half of it is just on the Inflation Reduction Act. It's, mm. it's crazy. And I, I think it's going to influence our rhetoric for so much time to come. Yes. But yes, yes. For sure. No, I mean, yeah, um, uh, but we'll do it in the inner collective list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. In a second. But okay, so from my side, I had Conference on the Future of Europe at number 10, purely because of the fact that I think it's important, but it's going to go either way. And it could ever be a disaster long term or just be forgotten very quickly or be positive, which is, in my opinion, the least likely part of it. Uh, inflation, for sure, is number nine, and this could have been higher, but I was thinking, you know, it's not as important some other things. NATO expansion was my number eight, purely because of a realization that Europe had and NATO in general, which was quite, from a political side, very funny, in general, just because of the fear that we had for Russia, with Russia in general, and the fact that it didn't really, what we feared didn't materialize when we pulled the trigger. But I will say it's the most, yeah, the biggest moves in foreign policy for Sweden and Finland in their history. Yeah, yeah, I no, of course. Yeah. For them, it was huge. But regardless. We'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> Number seven for me was EU enlargement because uh, while we haven't, well, I mean, I say de facto enlarged yet because it's still just accession processes being triggered, uh, in principle, it's a pretty big move. I mean, two of the easternmost states in Europe who have joined the accession process, who I don't think will end up like Turkey. Okay, but Turkey you know? is special. <laughs> yeah, you, you Turkey is always special, I know how. That's why you have it for Thanksgiving. Yes. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Go on, Julian, I'm going to thank you right now. So, the US midterms made my number six purely because it's, I think it's actually impacted EU-US relations long term. Really? Because it's, I think it's actually done a lot of damage to Donald Trump and... I guess from that, that push, but we'll get to that in a second. I would have said it would have made my top ten if it, the red wave happened. No, I think I the agree. fact that it didn't happen had a big impact. Actually, yeah. regardless, yeah. we'll get to it. Yeah, and European political community made my number five. Listen, I'll get to it. It's not just me being French. I promise. <laughs> uh, hungry rule of law funding cuts number four because the Commission finally. Uh, mm. I like well, that. The, the EU collectively grew some balls and decided to actually do something, which is phenomenal in my view. Chapeau, everyone. DSA DMA made my number three because that's going to have a huge impact. And I will get to that why, but I was actually disappointed that it wasn't on the, the actual list we were given. I, was, <laughs> I, I felt personally just... I mean, I, I do work for a tech company, but go on. Yes, just because <laughs> just the impact is going to... I mean, we'll get to it in a second, but just how impactful it's going to be is Fair so enough. impressive to me. Number two is energy security because, I mean... <laughs> So We've all checked our bills, to be honest, and it's not very nice. And my number one is actually the French election. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. I mean, Listen, fair enough. I'm not that stereotypical. <laughs> no, for me, number one was the uh, the illegal Russian invasion, not the um, the Russian war of aggression in Ukraine. The illegal Russian invasion. The French always have to one day yeah. commission, one after commission. To, you know, we have to call it what it is, and like no, everybody's gonna say here today. To be honest, it has changed so much about how Europe and everybody's doing business in general. Okay, it mm -hmm. can't be mm -hmm. outside number one. Mm -hmm. Okay, fair enough. Some interesting takes there. I see you don't care for the climate whatsoever. But no, uh, I, I hate it. 
Well, now the now the pressure is on me to place uh, Ukrainian war, uh, the Russian war of aggression against Ukraine in first place, huh? So that I do not disown from you guys. <laughs> But let's start from my number 10 first. So the enlargement. Um, sec the, the my ninth position is Italian elections, mm, then okay, French elections, then uh, U.S. midterms. So you can see that I like elections <laughs> because I like the outcomes of it and what we can extrapolate from it. On the sixth place. Inflation, on the fifth place, German defense policy. I need to be one hipster here. On uh, fourth place, NATO expansion. On third place, food security. On second place, energy security. And on first place, of course, like you guys, the Russian war of, again, of aggression against Ukraine. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. We all have the same top two. Yeah, and I'm gonna just gonna lock those in right now for us. So I'm gonna keep tally running here. Okay, but which ones are you gonna but lock? The Russian war of aggression one, energy okay. security in two. We're all agreed on that. But as, yeah. but as I do that, what do we think of each? Who do we think had the best list between us? Just off the top of the bat, if you could only choose one of these to survive. Nico, you cannot vote on yourself. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I was I was trying to talk myself out of it. <laughs> I mean, I think uh, Joao had potentially the most political top ten, actually. Not just because of the elections, but because you picked a lot of the where the diplomatic focus mm -hmm. was over the last four months. Mm -hmm. Very European. And very security-focused, yeah. too. Yeah. It's yeah. very security in elections. Yes, pretty much. Pretty much. Mm -hmm. I also liked very much yours, uh, Julian. I, it's in, a, in a way, it's similar to mine. I mean, we yeah. have a lot of stuff in common here. We just rearranged some positions, but... Uh, I mean, yeah. to be fair, Simon told us, pick these. Yeah, Otherwise yeah, yeah, I did this, I did yeah. this. I mean, if I just let you go <laughs> wild, I, I'd have no idea where to come back. <laughs> so, uh, okay, well, I think it's hard to pick a winner, but collectively, we will make a winner. That's and that's what we're going to do here. And I, I think the call from the, I guess, from around us has been to go from bottom up. However, looking that we've decided on the top two already, is maybe not easier to do number three? That was my argument, Jao, before recording. Well, maybe we, uh, but it's more interesting to go from the from bottom top. Up yes, I, I would go. I would still stick for the bottom up. I mean, I would even approach. say, why don't we eliminate the ones that we don't think were that in the top ten? I mean, like the human rights abuse World Cup should probably be eliminated from the list entirely because yeah, it's yeah, and it's also like the death of Queen Elizabeth. I'm, I'm I'm not taking away from it, but like age is something natural. So, mm -hmm. and there was a pretty smooth succession. Uh, Of, uh, of the monarchy, so I, I don't think it was as groundbreaking as some um, some others. Yeah. Okay, yeah, just for reference, we have a list of like 20 options here, the top 20, mm. um, and we're just gonna delete a few, um, but also maybe add a few, you know? Yeah, I mean, I'd even say the UK, because uh, you had the UK Prime Minister merry-go-round, which I, I understand that yeah. is quite important, but it also really wasn't. It was kind of just yeah. an extension of the election that wasn't overseen by the overzealous. Well, actually, no, it's the previous leadership election that hit reality really hard. And everybody realized that typically when you're running populist elections in a semi-sensible state, checks and balances come in quite hard. Uh, I don't know. In a way, I, I, I didn't and I did see it... Uh, Coming. I mean, there was a live stream on YouTube about whether a lettuce would outlive uh, this dress <laughs> as a prime minister, and 
Well, I haven't seen that for any other world leader, so yeah. that should fill in a few of the gaps, but not all. I, I will say, I think, like, teleporting yourself two years into the future, we will have forgotten that Liz Trust ever existed. And I think that kind of says a lot. Most people will assume yeah. it just went Johnson to Shunak. Or Shunak <laughs> sorry. And plus, she's the shortest serving <laughs> prime minister ever. Like, she beat all records. In, so she's just going to be a footnote in history. Mm-hmm. Like, potentially the worst potentially the worst thing for a politician. She will just be yeah. a w- line. Would she be deserved that honor? Of being a footnote. Yeah, yeah, I agree, right? because it's more than most uh-huh. people can... Uh, <laughs> can <laughs> no, see exactly, it. exactly. Your whole goal is to be a footnote. I can see here. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, you're not uh, running to replace Ursula? No. I mean, no, what, you don't no. want to be the next Vondi? I have full and unrelenting trust in the leadership of the European <laughs> Commission. Oh. <laughs> okay, so on n- that That's note, we will sadly delete the UK Prime Minister Mary around as quickly as Liz Truss got deleted from that office. Can you please just play a tiny violin? Well, exactly. While well, the boat, while well, the boat is sinking. Yeah. <laughs> and also, maybe why not scrapping COVID nineteen? I was going to make a case for concluding this because, in my opinion, do you still yes, recall I, I, I will lockdowns just beginning of the year? Still? Yes, I was just going to we point did? that out. Yeah. When? What? Year, I had lockdowns. Yeah, we had we're, lockdowns. We worked from home till like February. Yeah. We still had some restrictions, I, I think, when yeah, I, like when I came back when I came back to Brussels. I still have some, some restrictions, but we were working from, uh, at the office normally I mean, I think when, we, when we met. But, I mean, uh, it's just a small case. It's just a small thing. That and, of course, uh, the zero COVID, COVID policy on China, it's nowadays a, yeah, but that's a big topic. Uh, but it is not, I mean, you can... You can actually fit that into your top 10, but not the COVID-19 situation first. I still, agree. I, I, I still agree. say most news websites still have a COVID-19 page. It says something about how dominant this issue yes. is. We, we were talking site. about footnotes, weren't we? Yes. But <laughs> no, I, I, I don't think it's become irrelevant. Mm-hmm. I just think because like war has returned in, in Europe, NATO is expanding at the border of Russia, uh, so like uh, and so COVID cases. If you actually check sure, the statistics, so yeah. the COVID cases they're actually going up. They are, but the no. deaths are, are not the same yeah, that they yeah, were yeah, two yeah. years ago because obviously we've developed through vaccination yeah. um, quite a strong immunity as uh, as a population. Now, uh, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say that this is not important. I just think on the basis of what year we're living through, I think uh, COVID has sort of been forced to fall down our list also because like there's fatigue yeah, yeah. yeah but for sure could we mark an argument for number 10 just because it has been the paradigm in the background i'm i'm not sure we could and i think i mean there's always that joke that's been going around all the institutions that or even just globally in general that the minute that russia illegally invaded ukraine always say that <laughs> covid just kind of stopped existing like people forgot to wear masks. People forgot that in the vaccinations were going to be coming with boosters eventually. I mean, I understand your point just based on the fact that zero COVID, well, both your points actually, that zero COVID is still an important policy right now. But I would say we could actually wrap that up within the 20th National Congress rather than having COVID itself on its own. Yeah, I, I don't do think agree. it really makes sense anymore to, yeah. to really have it as one of the top things in Europe happening in 2022. Okay, instead of arguing why it shouldn't be, why don't we argue what should be? So let, let, let's eliminate COVID then right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. 
both in the real that world was my motion well so I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. sadly COVID has been defeated from the top 10 which I, I do kind of disagree with but regardless regardless what do we think you, you, you're making case that something should be on the list give me one that you think needs to be on the list right away okay so I put number 10 the Eastern Mediterranean. <laughs> Instantly goes for the one that nobody else has. <laughs> but go on, make your case. You Man, have your, you had you had the your spotlight. Co- the conference and... Uh, oh, I, had that I had the conference. He had like number five. Yeah, and six. Uh, <laughs> um, so, uh, okay. Th- this has a lot to do with n- not just uh, Turkey, but uh, also Libya. Um the the maritime agreement between uh, Israel and Lebanon, which was very historic. What's happening in Cyprus? The fact that Greece, for the first time in its history, is doing uh, um, is doing research to see if if uh, uh, if there there is natural gas off the coast of, of Crete to the to the west. Um, obviously, Turkey again is uh, uh, is at war. It's always been at war, but it's bombing again the Kurds. Um, w- what happened in uh, what's happening in Egypt with the COP and everything? Um, there's a lot of things going around in the Eastern Mediterranean right now that shows that number one, it's a very very critical juncture for the world and the European um, Union for the European Union because it's just where uh, where Europe meets the borders of the, the Middle East and essentially the continent of Asia as well as Africa, both in land and in 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 sea, uh, in land and sea with with Asia. So. Turkey and uh, uh, at sea with with Africa. Um, I mean, to add fuel to your fire, they had a war there with uh, Armenia, Azerbaijan, I believe. They, they had yes, conflict. yes. I don't know if that. I I thought about saying it, but I don't know if that falls under. Uh, I had it in my top thirty. Eastern Mediterranean. <laughs> I I wouldn't say that. Um, uh, does that fall under the Eastern Mediterranean? It yeah, I, I don't know if. But, it, but then you have to be really limited in what you mean because if you expanded it that far i'd be like okay but right now i don't know it's, it's just i'm not happy to expand it that far i'm just not sure I mean, if you guys see it like that i would say that the eastern uh, med has been important but i would actually say it's been most important in relation to, his, to the war in ukraine or the invasion of ukraine purely because it's been where a lot of the grain uh, shipments have been uh, traveling through Food security exists. And food security as well. I mean, I would hesitate to make it to some point because at least this year, because the, I mean, I I know what you mean about the increase in conflict in the region and the the shale gas exploration and all of these things. But I feel like those were, those ones in my top 10, I would put those in my top 20. Because they were really, compared to all the big things that happened this year, I would actually say they were quite secondary to a lot of the other things that happened, mm-hmm. in my view at least. I mean, I don't have Musk's uh, shenanigans in my top 10. I wouldn't even put it in my top 20, for example, but the Eastern Med and all the situations happening there, quite a few of them would make their way into my top 20 at least. Yeah. Well, no, don't get me wrong, Nikos, I totally respect your argument. Actually, in one of our, no, no, in, in one of our discussions, I, I actually sec- second it, second it. <laughs> the importance of um, of Eastern Mediterranean and the Turkey-Greek relationship and stuff like that. And Cypriot. <laughs> and Cypriot. Yeah, if you want to add <laughs> Cyprus, they also deserve to be in. Um, but the thing is, I totally agree also with, uh, with Julian. I don't think, uh, at least in my perspective, although it is a very important region for us security-wise, not only food security-wise, but also energetic-wise, and also in, the, in terms of migration, 
um, I don't think it is important enough to be rested in this list. So, any final thoughts before we pay funeral to it? Rele- relegated to an honorary topic. <laughs> an honorary, all right. I'll, I'll accept that. I will say one thing. The war in Ukraine, because you also connected it to, and the food shipments, uh, the role that Turkey has played as a mediator, uh, oil shipments, um, and everything. Uh, the war in Ukraine and Turkey's role in the the war has, um, has had a severe impact and dent on the power and influence of Russia in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. The fact that they're taking yeah. equipment from Syria to Ukraine, the fact that uh, Turkey is going against a lot of their their strategic uh, positions of Russia um, in Syria uh, and in, in other policies, um, as well as w- with Armenia, uh, we're seeing that the... That number one, Turkey is rising as a as a big regional uh, power, and Russia's influence is waning. It's becoming more and more isolated, and I think the Eastern Mediterranean uh, shows that, and uh, and especially what's happening in Libya. But I'm happy to to put it as uh, it's not a hill I'm willing to die on. Yeah, well, uh, I don't know if you are, <laughs> but we'll we'll save that point for I guess our top predictions of 2023 list. Maybe we can do that for January. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll see, we'll see. We mentioned this uh, during the last segment, or ju- just just a second ago. Food security. We all had it. Where do we think it should go? Much higher. Oh, much higher, definitely. Mm. But where is much higher? Mine is sixth, is fifth place, actually. Mine, mine is fifth seven. as well. I'm go- willing to go up to five. Do you have an issue with it being at five? Julian. I... Coming from a Eurobubble perspective and a very Eurocentric point of view, I feel like it was maybe not actually, at least for Europe itself, it drove prices up, prices up certainly, and it caused problems with inflation for sure. But I think that food security itself, as in the specific transfer of food from Ukraine or Russia and these things, was actually more of an extra European problem. And it actually mostly had secondary effects in Europe. You could also yeah. still argue the fertilizer crisis, which is going to impact farmers yes, for years sure. to come within pretty Europe. There, there's ongoing famines throughout Africa, which is on yes. our near borders, which is going to impact our international aid. There's yes. a, all these things going on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, actually, in my opinion, I picked food security mainly not because of European reasons, but the impacts that it can have. Like worldwide. Oh no! Yeah, that, that, that migration-wise. Yes, that's yeah. exactly it. Like yeah. the, the conflict that yes. they can actually they can actually um, come to happen because like uh, internal conflicts in certain countries because of food uh, scarceness, uh, and we cannot forget about this. Like most of the African countries, as some of Asian countries are reliant fifty to one hundred percent on grain exported by Russia or by Ukraine. So and this helps to explain most of their positions. For instance, in the UN, yeah, why they refuse yep. to to condemn or to have like a tougher approach on uh, on uh, Russia war of aggression. So I think that's why, like, for the actual, it has perhaps marginal impacts on us. It raises some prices, of course, uh, but the potential sidebacks and the potential spillovers that this can provoke to Europe from something that comes from third countries, it can actually be like trouble for the future. But oh. also add to that, so obviously the first one is like the humanitarian side, which I think goes absolutely as the top uh, 
uh, risk associated with the food uh, security crisis that we're facing. M maybe we've gotten over like the really bad part, I think, because now there is some sort of uh, exports, at least as unstable as there are. There are some, some exports going on. It also showed uh, how susceptible certain countries can be to anti-Western and anti-European propaganda mm. on this. Yeah. Because let's be clear, there is one perpetuator of the f global food insecurity in, in the world. And that that person, that the, the whoever is responsible has a name. It's Vladimir Putin. Mm. Because Ukraine certainly didn't choose to start a war. No one in, in Europe or the West wanted uh, wanted a war. And yet this was a completely, we can use all, all the words, unjustified, unprovoked, uh, illegal, and so on and so forth invasion of uh, of Ukraine but at the end of the day I was seeing that a lot of countries were turning their back on Europe as if Europe was somehow responsible for this when in reality a lot of our aid was going to help a lot of countries that were suffering from this and yet even though some of that damage has been mitigated I think it was scary for me to see just how susceptible uh, the global viewpoint can be uh, in a situation like this mm -hmm. for sure. so and if I can just Last point out because I, I see what you mean. I would have it in like 11th place just because of <laughs> the importance Ooh. it would have. It's way too long. But I agree. The but reason yeah. why is that I would actually say that in terms of if we're looking at it from a humanitarian point of view, I would have humanitarian affairs actually in my top 10 purely because it hits on food security, it hits on the issues in Yemen, it hits on a lot of the ongoing. Uh, crises and conflicts in Africa and, and Asia, but also because of the fact that the world basically turned a blind eye to everything that happened in Qatar to enjoy some football. And this is one of the reasons why I'd have human rights and humanitarian aid higher and food security lower, at least in general, purely because of the fact that people chose to take a stand on food security, which is rightly so, but they also ended up forgetting the other issues that are happening in the world and almost willingly try to ignore them if it meant that they could watch something fun on football television for a couple months. I mean, you know. I mean, we did have a Qatar World Cup category. Yes. Which we no, deleted right away. Yes, because it's just the way it's being presented. Yeah, it's I, I agree. But uh, sidelines, you know? I will also say, when we're talking about like trans points or like, points that transcend boundaries, Food security was also had its own session within COP27. was one of the focus of COP27 for the first time ever. Mm -hmm. So my argument would be, since none of us seem to like COP27, we can also kind of lump that into food security. And hence, I think at least us, except for the Frenchmen, uh, we're all in favor <laughs> of putting it around five, six. Same and we, we can see where we go on. Yeah, I, I agree. Are you not uh, we happy? Somewhat on this and, and actually, just just uh, <laughs> taking th taking this to the French side, actually, this food security crisis will put further strain on our necessity of uh, reviewing the cap. Yes, and that's true. Th so uh, and this this yeah. is uh, so jumping from the world scenario to our internal European scenario. This is something that needs to be thought about. And also, yeah. just just a quick side note. It will be interesting since we mentioned, for instance, you mentioned the Brazilian elections. It would be interesting how would Brazil, in the more realistic point of view, try to explore because they have comparative advantage on producing uh, certain type of grains. 
to actually take advantage on this situation, like position themselves even higher. But now with the elections uh, and Lula can come to power, let's see how we he will fulfill his promises of uh, protecting uh, Amazon and uh, the deforestation and, and being be against deforestation. Fair, it's, should we go to the elections then? Yeah. 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 Let's, um, well, just on, on that note, it's, it's difficult to be worse than his predecessor. Um, <laughs> on that, like zero respect for indigenous uh, populations, unfortunately, zero respect for the, for the environment. Uh, the Amazon is known as the lungs of <laughs> the earth, like just uh, overall not, 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 again, from a strictly like as a global, not even a citizen, as, a, as an individual living on this planet, like you realize some things are just bad for this planet. And mistreating the, the Amazon rainforest is one of those uh, things. Now, I put the Brazil elections, and I'll get to the plus uh, in a minute. Um, one of the, the really big feelings that I've had uh, um, this year is that um, we've been living through a wave of populism for, for well, f on and off for a while now, since, since the 08 economic crisis. Especially for myself as a Greek, like we went through through a lot of populism, a lot of political upheavals, uh, and whatnot. And I really feel that this year, democracy feels to be fighting back. And when I when I say democracy, I mean like people seem to be fighting back. They they don't want the populists. Well, not everywhere, but th they don't want. Uh, uh, people seem to to be willing to get out and fight. And and you're getting this feeling that every vote counts now. Why is the Brazil election so important? Where number one, we're seeing the internationalization of uh, Trumpian political methods of before you even lose an election, when you sense that you might lose an election, is like set the groundwork. Start making um, baseless claims. The, the, you can retweet uh, www.nothing.nothing.nothing.eu.com or whatever, and still say that that's, uh, uh, that's your source. And still, people unfortunately will, uh, will believe people in power because they see them, they, they look up to them. And again, we saw it now. We had 48 hours after the elections where everyone was like, what is going to happen? Will he concede? Will he not concede? In the end, he didn't really concede, but he said he would start the, the transition, transition process. But on the other side, uh, now again, he's saying that there were... Uh, there's evidence and potentially there was some uh, um, some like uh, mysterious things that happened that led him to to lose the election and, and we see these methods being energetically adapted these Trumpian methods energetically adapted not just in Brazil by, by Bolsonaro but um, internationally and I think this is why these elections were were so important because Brazil was really choosing on some more than just who will lead the country. It was it was a very fundamental part of, of the country's identity, yeah. I think. I, I think the larger point you're speaking to is is there's a perception that somehow we fought back against the right, in a sense. I, I, I don't know how much I agree with that, but we did see a lot of right-wing candidates mm -hmm. stumble or not even be able to deliver on those right-wing agendas, kind of like Maloney in Italy. I, I, I want my, to... My initial, uh, my initial one drafting this, I wanted to put a bracket in of just right-wing, the fall of right-wing, or, or like the, the struggle of right-wing, something like no, that. Uh, I, I, I just I, want, uh, Sergio, yeah, just yeah, one small thing. Go for it. Yeah. Th this 
I don't think this has to do with the leftist rightist uh, ideology. I like that plays a role, yeah. but uh, I, I'm seeing that these people they don't really have an ideology. Their ideology is quite a naked and blatant uh, run for power, and that's why it's so important that we fight for democracy, we fight for the values, we fight as much as we as we absolutely can for for the truth in our society, and we forget these leftist, rightist, centrists, and really look what is best for society. Uh, I would like yeah. to, to make a statement on that, on the Brazilian front. Uh, I did not place it on my top 10. I would have placed it in my honorable mentions, but not for the same reasons as you. Mainly for international affairs than actual internal affairs. I don't believe that uh, at all that democracy was fighting back in Brazil. Actually, if there was any display of bad use of democracy was in the Brazilian elections. Mm. First, because of the of the the the, uh, the, actual, the, um, the former president, and then because of the way that the, the other party, PT and Lula da Silva, presented themselves. I mean, when you have a candidate, in this case Lula, that says that he is not going to present his his uh, program this like days before the the elections, because he needs to first be in power to present his program. I mean, what is this? Yeah. You are going to an election, to a democratic election selection, and you do not know who we are voting for. So the thing was, it was too, too much polarized in between two fields. Okay, uh, we, ha we had you know, on one side what we know about Bolsonaro, and we had on the other side a person that is championed in the European Union and in the West in general. But I mean, the first thing that he did, and he was promising that he was going to increase the, the expenditures, for instance, on education, which is important for that country, he reduced it more than 30%. Okay. So let's just be real. So uh, what happened there is a failure to democracy, not actually uh, democracy fighting back. And just uh, on my take uh, on, um, on Brazilian elections, internationally, it is very interesting. Yeah. Uh, because... What happened, and here I, I will follow Nikos, uh, what happened was like a Trumpist, more kind of approach, like uh, um, bandwagging more with America, uh, fostering bilateral agreements rather than multilateral consensus. And now with Lula, maybe we are going to see Brazil now pushing forward uh, Latin American agenda, like more Mercosul, uh, for instance, more intervention with the other Portuguese speaking countries is important. Um, and also have a, a different approach also, also towards the European Union. We will see how the agreement can actually unfold. So uh, this brings a new hole of opportunities, multila multilateral wise, and I will still rest to see if pragmatism in Brazil and realism in Brazil will speak louder than promises, mm. because we know if there is one thing that we know in politics is unfortunately in one hour is one thing, in the other hour, it is the, op the, the complete opposite. Yeah, and I think I'm going to agree on the fact that the while it was good, purely because Bolsonaro lost and a Trumpist candidate did lose, I agree with you on that point that it wasn't necessarily good because uh, Lula also behaved in a very popular, well, he was a populist. And the thing that lots of people forget is that he's actually a far-left populist. It's something that he did quite frequently and actually politically, People like to think that he's maybe more of an Olaf Scholz European-style socialist, but he's actually more of a uh, Jean-Luc uh, Mélenchon type uh, 
left wing. I mean, I won't, I'm not going to mm. dictate what side of communism he's mm. most likely to support, but he's on that side. And I just a segue into the other two elections, just so we can clear them out of the way as well eventually. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. like forty minutes in, and we I have three <laughs> decided. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm very cautious of people who say that the right is flailing or that the far right is losing or that it has lost. I mean, just to put it as someone who actually fought the elections in uh, France, at least here in the Benelux, we weren't necessarily fighting against Marine Le Pen per se. We were mostly fighting against disaffection with politics in general, which meant that people were protest voting. And we saw in the first round that... Le Pen has her supporters, we have our base as well in France, but then the left wing was so balkanized that at one point the main candidate fell over completely, got 1. 1.2, 1.7% of the votes. And then because all of the socialist and ecologist parties felt that they weren't able to make their voice heard, they protest voted in favor of the, the far left Trotskyites, I can never say that word, candidate Mélenchon, who then used this to basically create a, an incredibly disruptive party that spends a lot of time yelling in parliament and disrupting policy. That's not necessarily the far right losing, that's more people protest voting. And I think that's one thing that people aren't necessarily aware of. In general, at least the people voting, we may be more aware. But it's the same thing in Italy. People didn't necessarily vote in favor of Meloni's program or Meloni's coalition. They voted against uh, Movimento Cinco Stelle's inability to actually make good on their former promises. They voted against the Partido Democratico, however they call it, who has a history of failing their promises. And they voted for the person who sold them this Trumpist dream, look, we're going to make Italy great again. And I think the lesson that lots of people haven't quite taken from this and that I think that people really need to stop paying attention to, especially considering the cycle we're running into right now, is that the EP elections are going to be quite similar. I mean, there's going to be a lot of protest voting, especially because people still have a misunderstanding of what Europe is, which is why hopefully this podcast helps contribute yeah, to a bit that, of understanding. That's why Europe sometimes don't vote on the European... People don't exactly. vote on the European election, so the protest vote was actually translated into abstention. Exactly. Which or is they just protest vote on the basis of, like... National mm, politics. Yeah, well, national politics, uh, obviously, but they just vote on the basis of, like, let's show the incumbent government... Uh, who's really in hmm. charge, or let's exactly. show them that we don't like the direction. Like a yellow card. Yes, yes. exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's basically our EU midterm elections, actually, you could probably even argue. But it's, while we're, while we're hoping that we're going to be able to do well as a party, for example, one of the big issues that we've got is that we have to deal with the fact that in a lot of cases, people just don't want the incumbent to do well. Which is why, for me, I mean, a lot of what I've described just now is why I didn't have either election on my top 10 is because the French elections, it was important, but we just ended up in a status quo of a slightly reduced majority for Macron's party. And in Italy, we kind of got the protest vote with, like we said in previous editions, Meloni making all these promises, Meloni telling the people, I'm going to blockade Italy, scrap everybody, get rid of the EU. Three days later, she was hugging and shaking hands with Metzola. Five days later, she was with Ursula von der Leyen talking about how Italy was going to be a reliable partner after having said, which is exactly what we all said would happen. 
in previous episodes, after having promised that she's going to rip everything up and tell uh, the EU to uh, go do one. Yeah. So I don't know if she exactly said that. But she, she inferred <laughs> it, you know. It's Fair enough. Getting back on track, though, what have we decided here for our list? <laughs> because what I'm getting here is that we don't think that any of the individual elections, per se, really captured the trend we think that was underlying them throughout the year. Mm. We can put I mean, election polarization mm. as a topic because, like, in front of us, we have yeah. the three yeah. elections. I'm talking about a fourth one. So the three elections are the U.S. midterms, the French, Italian, and I mentioned the Brazil ones. Mm -hmm. So I'm happy to put the yeah, elections, election elections polarization, as a even though I yeah. do think the U.S. midterms are an important topic to even... If only briefly touch to, to separate. No, yeah. I, I actually, I actually do agree. Yeah. Uh, but do you want to conclude? No, I mean, I was actually going to say I would say yes, election polarization as a topic on its own. But I would actually say the U.S. midterms should be their own topic. I agree purely because of the facts, and because I promised I was going to come back and yeah. Do this but let, let, let's first but where should election polarization go before we get too yeah. off topic here? Maybe nine, eight ish. Uh, I mean, it has some degree of importance. Uh, I mean, nine still has yeah. some degree of importance. Spe especially, especially for me, the French election. Um, because the, the actual results, I mean, uh, at some point, people were actually fearing that uh, Marine Le Pen could, could win. And this raised some uh, perspectives for the, n for the next election. Not so much on, uh, perhaps, on if she's going to win or not, because there is always that chance, but who is going to be the actual person that is going to replace Macron yeah, yeah, and yeah. lead in yeah. France? So th this, this, this election, okay, it was a victory, yeah. clear victory, okay, and an important victory for the European Union and for the French people, in my opinion. But it looms questions for the future. So where do we put it down? Because <laughs> we'd like to talk uh, about let, let, let election polarization. Election polarization. Election polarization. I'd say okay, uh, four maybe? I think it's really important. I think it's a lot more important than people think. I mean, it's not just European; it's everything. I mean, I, th I think I think it is important. I think it is important, but I would settle with an eight. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> I, I, I would agree with you. I would sa okay. settle with an eight as well. Okay. The French can I get people to, to agree to seven? Maybe eight. It is. <laughs> no, no, no. Shame on you all. I'm just gonna type this one in because I didn't have it. But uh, I promised you some time to rant about the midterms. Okay, well, it's not ranting, it's uh, it making constructive points. <laughs> yes, yes. Polarization, write it with the proper commission style guide. It's well not, S, not with a Z in European polarization. English. <laughs> These are so little used, you know. <laughs> British English still? He I don't right think right. European English. It's not British English anymore. No, no, no. Of course, of I, yeah. I write Canadian English and I've been enforcing that policy in all the I documents. Mean, I prefer the, the term Brazilian English. Listen, first of all, my condolences. It's a language. But more seriously, I would say U.S. midterm should be quite high purely because of the fact that the fact that the red wave failed to materialize, the fact that the Democrats did much better than people thought they were going to do, mm -hmm. and the fact that it basically hamstrung Trump was really huge victories because everybody's big fear was the next U U.S. elections, Biden, with a relatively shaky reputation, gets hit quite badly, gets taken out by Trump, and we have another five years of Trump shenanigans. Yes. But what's happened is with his the failure of his effective failure to lead the Republicans to a victory, 
Damage's brand had Fox News running away from him, and mm-hmm. everybody is now running towards uh, DeSantis, who, while he's not much better, is still he at least slightly an more. Ivy League version of Trump, and yeah. that version of Trump looks like he can win. He yeah. got Florida like in a, in a massive difference, and Florida is one of those places they could be. Uh, mm-hmm. It's, it's swinging. It's swinging, man. They yeah. could be voting in the middle of the summer whether to buy a blanket or eat an ice cream, and it, the difference would mm-hmm. still be 50.5, 49.5. But not in this case. But not in this case, yeah, because yeah. the guy, like, uh, whether you agree or disagree with him, I'm not going to comment on that. I will comment that uh, the way that he's playing uh, the political game, the way that he's playing voters, he is talented. And first of all, we are seeing for the first time in history um, an opponent of someone essentially announcing their opponent's uh, presidential campaign. Because Trump, by going through all these desanctimonious and all these attacks that he essentially built DeSantis, he's himself throwing DeSantis's hat in the ring for Republican candidate. And I, I think he's thinking it, we're thinking it, everyone is thinking it, that yeah. man is going to run. Yes, but it's not the first time history that happened. Carter did that way back in the day. And Carter oh, basically yeah. on someone else's oh, man. campaign, which was very funny because Carter got his backside hand to him. But as I was saying in the first place, the reason it's important is that DeSantis is at least more responsible than Trump in several ways, purely because of the fact that he has more intelligence and he's mm-hmm. not just playing <laughs> popular he's TV stuff. He's more politics. institutional. He's more institutional yeah. and that's less dangerous. We can work better with DeSantis than we could with Trump, because Trump was going to have a tantrum in one of seven and different ways. And you know? Yeah, unless, because unless the, the big uh, question DeSantis has uh, uh, learned from Trump. Yeah. I mean, you know, he has so, clearly. So the no, way no, he's no. playing the anti-wokeism yeah. crusade yeah, 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 yeah. demonstrates that he clearly has. But I just want to add another topic that I think was very crucial in flipping the elections. I think it was the overturning of Roe v. Wade. I think that really mobilized... Mm. The young, younger voters? Yeah. Younger voters, I think it yeah. really mobilized women. And I just want to say, like, it's really disgusting what, uh, yeah. what happened that in the 21st century we're having these discussions. Like, uh, abortion should, should, should be constitutionally uh, protected. At the back. <laughs> <laughs> Which, Wait, oddly uh, enough, we're actually they, they doing this in France right now. Good, good. Because Good, as a result of this, and yeah. and mo- more countries, should, especially in the West, man, we should absolutely be yeah. be looking like we are talking about rights in other countries when in reality we're taking them away from half the population yeah. in our own. I mean, so. I would like to also just add just a crazy thought: Why don't we start considering a European constitution? Oh. We want to go back to 2004. Let's I don't go. know. Yeah, I don't know. Well, no, he's getting PTSD. <laughs> yes, yes. We are too, we are too <laughs> far away. We are too far away. Place European political community at yeah. number five. So yeah. Regardless, Let's as the also. only person who did the midterms on their top ten, I will just say, did this midterms? No, actually, I, actually I also heard it. I, I also heard it. Yeah. Number six. Mine is number seven. I said my my top. Okay, not. Exactly. It's your Canadian English, man. It's not working. If you switch to European English, we could understand you. Yes. Yeah, but what is Canada but not a better Europe, you know? Well, we have America's sister. No, we're America's hat, as people like to say. How is hat better than a sibling? Jesus, no. Regardless, I will just say, to play devil's advocate with the midterms, 
I don't know how much it actually impacted the European political calculus because beforehand, we I know we were all worried about how this would swing, how this would impact the relationship, and as soon as the results came in, it seemed like nobody cared anymore. We just kind of watched it turn and watched the rubble build up. But and about really the watch it turn? And, and about the DeSantis point, did he need the midterms to build his wave? Yes, it solidified his election or like his, his, his you know, get that his strength. There, yeah. His strength. Yeah. But... I think another event could have also propelled them. I, I don't think these midterms were as significant yeah. as they've been in the past, because especially under the under Trump's uh, presidency, I think that midterm was much more indicative of how the populace was kind of you know turning a bit against its waiver. Well, I will rest. I will on that rest is a, li- is a little bit of futurology, but first, I do think that the midterms help consolidate projecting DeSantis uh, national-wise yeah. and oh, international-wise mm-hmm. because. Even for us in Europe, we are starting to understand, okay, there is a guy there that can either be Trump or cannot be Trump. Although, um, on regards to to the midterms, we actually should try to understand and analyze it on this picture. Um, So, did uh, Biden win the elections or the Democrats win the elections or Trump lose it? So, what are we discussing here, you know? On the other hand, I did a great because, no, no, But it's important to know, I mean, yeah, it's it, true. the, the, the what, what is about this midterm election? Is it about Trump or is it about the Democrats and winning? And if you want to hear the answer to that, I did a great podcast about that earlier this month. Oh. And we only have a few months left, or sorry, a few minutes left in this yeah. big episode. So yeah. where are we putting the midterm? And also, and also uh, just, just to just wrap this up. And, yeah, um, go ahead, last point. Uh, <laughs> and just, um, so... Um, is still concerning the the, the elections. Uh, we do not know. Thankfully, w- thankfully, I still uh, now you now you, you lost me. You know. Um, <laughs> you you yes. Yeah, so so you ju- just uh, no. start to interrupt me and then I lose my line of thought. Yes. Um, Shame on me. So we still need to understand how it's going to play out uh, yeah. with with the Republican Party. Uh, so because many analysts, uh, I don't know if Julian is on this opinion. Uh, but many analysts say that this fight between Trump and uh, DeSantis can actually break uh, the gap. I agree. And right. on that note, you say so six. This is why this is important. Not, not yeah. because of the actual context, six. but for six. the future. Six. 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 Uh, no, I would say seven. So I would I, say I, seven. I will concur with seven just because I'm the odd one out. All right, all right. Okay, we have some big hitters still left. In okay, here. we need to go on. on we need to go a bit after the too. U.S. Yes, NATO expansion. Like I, I'm not even yeah I debating agree. whether it's in the top ten. I'm debating where. No, uh, no. I had no. no. but election polarization. No, no, no. Mean. I I agree yeah. with Nikos. I would go with a four. I would go four what? as well. I had it at three, so I'm happy to go with four. What? Why? This Why is nine? compromising. Thank you. You, have, you have one, one, one minute. Spirit. One yeah. minute. One minute. One minute to okay. go, not a nine. Guys, it was important for Sweden and Finland. Sure. And I was one of those people who was like, this is amazing, yeah. great. It, for wider Europe, um, it wasn't existential. No, no, but no, 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 no. But I'm going to place it on these terms. The accession to NATO of Sweden and Finland can be can turn o- can turn out as a po- uh, geostrategical checkmate 
No, yeah. to Russia. Guys, I'm sorry, I'm having a bit of a memory lapse. Can you remind me what two countries still haven't uh, ratified? The Hungary and Turkey. Yeah. Turkey. So oh, listen, much. no, we're not going yeah. to Turkey. Yeah. <laughs> Hungary <laughs> said they would, though. So, uh, so did Turkey. Anyway, we're putting it at number no. four. Your uh, no. one minute was duly no, received. No, my one she minute was taken. seconds. I'm, I'm yeah, actually seconds. Yeah. So, and Go. the thing is as well, and if uh, everybody read the French Dispatch, my publication covering French and European politics, I did a breakdown of NATO and Russian uh, forces in general. For the rest of Europe, we didn't necessarily need them both to join. It wasn't existential for us. We could, we still dwarfed the uh, Russian military and most military yeah. forces. How about entirely. we, how about we rephrase this, Julian? Tell us why you think the European political community should go higher than NATO expansion. Listen, guys. <laughs> so and we could kill two birds Oh no, no, here. this one will, will be nice. Listen, yeah. so how guys, much time are you I'm giving? Listen, I'm getting ten minutes. Come on, minutes, come on. I'm just going oh, for one. Yeah. But no, for me, <laughs> the reason why it's so important is it represented a new dimension to European accession and European diplomatic engagement across the continent. It wasn't just EU, and we actually had a discussion about this recently, I think. But it's the reason why it's so important is that it kind of gives us a vehicle, no, it de facto gives us a vehicle, where we can overcome this uh, EU slash non-EU discussion, where we have to keep negotiating between all these EU neighborhoods and uh, non-EU neighborhood countries and non-EU countries, and where we bring together every single state in the EU to come together to find solutions to common problems. Where before, when we had the EU, which was hovering over everybody, there was a problem where there was a power asymmetry that made it difficult to negotiate certain outcomes and certain solutions to certain problems, because, for example, Turkey felt bullied. Oh, Bulgaria Ooh, felt <laughs> like bothered like because it wasn't in half an island. Listen, it's fine. <laughs> I, I understand. I understand. But where, like Ukraine, for example, felt like it was being pushed aside because it wasn't in any major European initiative. It kind of circumvents that, all of that to an extent. And on top of that, it represents a new attempt at finding solutions to the big issue, which is EU accession. We've tried to find a new uh, situation. To Germany came out. You, you just said it. The big issue: EU yeah. accession, EU enlargement, yes. which I personally would place in the top ten. Solidly. No, it's, it's like in my top solidly. ten too. Yeah. In my top ten. I think I would place that above EPC. I no, no wouldn't content. purely because the fact that it's just it's begun the accession process for two states that should have been accession states a while back, but. This is mo more than likely, in my opinion, the vehicle that will get them through the accession process. Mm. Or not allow them to finish it. Mm, I'm not sure that, that, that will repeat those mistakes. I, I mean, I think Simon should explain his, his look, beliefs. Look, 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 look. I, I, I don't, I, I do. <laughs> huh? I'm just throwing out statements here, but no, no, I, I do think that the EPC is a way that can distract away from the EU accession and enlargement process, mm. which I think mm. should be more clear, more, you know, yeah. laid out, you know, guide mapped, had, had, had good roadblocks in there. Not roadblocks, uh, markers, what I'm trying to say. Points. Pointers. Pointers, yes. Bullets. Signs. Bullets, something like that. Clear, actionable, you know, achievable things that people need to reap. Deliverables. Yes, deliver. And I'm just agreeing with every word yeah, I'm that, saying that here. <laughs> but I feel like the EPC <laughs> can distract from the ability of these states to really meet these. But I disagree because we, we need, it like, like, sure, it's not taking a concrete form because they want to get every single actor on board. But when you think of the, the discussions that brought us to this point, effectively what we're seeing is the nascent stages of a future uh, institution. 
No, 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 no. That, that, that's a little bit of a stretch. Yeah. That is, a, this is what we are seeing. That, that's a little the bit of a stretch. One more no. centimeter, and that thing is going to start flying everywhere. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. Listen, give it wings. Give yeah. it wings. No, no, no. Let it fly. No. I mean, we, we have extensively discussed this topic, like in the previous session. We had a very nice debate on that. And uh, although I totally recommend you guys to do that, and I really respect uh, Julian's opinion. But I, but, <laughs> but I really, I really do not. I cannot agree. Uh, actually, I, it wouldn't even make my top twenty in the in the list, because I really believe that we at this point we do not need another forum which actually has no clear deliverables to present, that is too big to actually work. There is no clear framework framework for operating. There is no clear agenda, and it can be like a scapegoat for not. Um, making steps on the enlargement of the European That's Union and a topic of interest like I mean this is a French-led initiative that can actually be becoming uh, like a rift between the French and the UK so why would the other states be interested on in this I don't understand on the plus side because I promised that I will not only be the, the devil's advocate on this, on this one the, yeah so, so no 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 no, no. <laughs> only I promise this on the plus side and reminding this this community at least had the chance and uh, the good thing of sitting in the same room the president of Armenia and Azerbaijan. Okay, so and I rest my case. I, I agree. Do we think collectively should it make the top ten? Yes. No. No. Okay. Oh, there we go. Guys. The nays have it. And EU enlargement. Or, no, no, no. Or uh-huh. Where should EU enlargement go? <sighs> if it goes on the top ten at all. Okay. Give me a number first. Taking your arguments. That if we don't have uh, the EPC, we have EU enlargement instead. I would say it should be six. Six is free. I I would agree with that. It is actually... Guys, I I have to say, as great as all the progress that we did this year is with Ukraine, with Georgia, Moldova, hopefully soon with Bosnia and Herzegovina, uh, with so many other countries that are... That are very eager to even Turkey. to to no <laughs> <laughs> to enter our uh, only democracies, man. Um, to enter our uh, our family of uh, of member states, um, I think it has potential to be something big in 2023, 2024. No, because of the elections, but down uh, down the future, uh, down the line. I I mean, yes, we've made progress, but like. Um, do you really think it's like if we look at some of the other things there um, on the list or even that people are, are thinking to themselves there's things that are so much bigger if we because think about the bias the European bias that goes in in this um, we are in Brussels though yeah we are but uh, so there the guy are that works at the commission but one thing that I tried to consider when I made my list was I, I tried to see where I can find topics that touched all the continents in uh, mm. in uh, in the world. And mm. I have to say, like, yes, massive steps forward. But I, I would put it n- number three if this year w- we said, like, yeah, we're, we're, we're granting membership to, to country X or country Y. But we didn't. <laughs> so, like... I feel like uh, there's a lot to celebrate, but there's a lot of work to be done. And before 
we did a big celebration. I think we need to mm. roll up the sleeves, uh, as the saying goes, and get down to work <laughs> with the uh, with the work that needs to be done. Uh, I am. I'm going to advocate for tenth place. I, I was leaning that way too because it's. Yeah. I recognize the points. And I am being swayed downwards. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I I um, I agree. I see the points uh, of Nikos, and I think this is important not as an achievement itself because it may just just made like those two countries enter the list, did not make it like actual members, but it can make us think on what European Union we want to be in the future. And by this I mean it is important uh, to consider that we may we allow to enter this list two countries that are clearly on Russian sphere of influence. So increasing even more the tensions, you know, and pointing out to the European future and how this can be important for, the, for our way forward, it's because it raises us structural challenge inside of the European Union being this like the if Ukrainian uh, enters the European Union it can clearly reshape the balance of power inside of the European Union and the institutions because it you will need to do uh, treaty amendments okay and you need to touch in specific policies so uh, which this mean like having Ukraine entering the balance of power and the gravi gravity center will shift a little bit towards east. This because, for instance, uh, in the EP, mm. in That's the EP, great point. It would have either to be enlarged, or the members of MEPs, or the number of it, uh, of uh, the MEPs will stay the same, but the power of other member states will be diluted inside. And, it. and same, this same this is council. something. Yes, that I was yeah. going to reach there. I was not going My to reach. Apologies. So this is, this is something this is something that should be should be thought about. You know, of how much do we want a country as big as this to enter the European Union, making us losing power? And uh, again, it goes uh, on the council. It would be the same. So the effects on the qualified voting majority. It would mean that, for instance, Poland and uh, Ukraine that have roughly the same population would have the same power of vote combined as Germany. Yes. So imagine how this would actually shift the balance of power. And of course, just to, to touch uh, br very briefly, the cap. Mm. I mean, common agricultural policy. Com yes, sorry, sorry, I'm sorry. Common agricultural policy. <laughs> I mean, this, this was built, uh, this is one of the core pillars of the European Union. Uh, French love it. Uh, I don't know why. Our neighbor Spain, Spain also love it. So we I don't know. Why. Hmm? We, we like it so much. Yes, you, li you like very, very much. Are you going? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> but let, let me wrap this because otherwise uh, I will never finish because I, lo I love to talk about these things. So if Ukraine joins, it would mean that Ukraine by now not only has a very competitive worldwide uh, agricultural system, but it represents 40% of its exports. So the way that cap is built nowadays, it means that the, the, the country that has more land, in this case is um, agricultural land, in this case is uh, France, gets more payments, gets more funds. Mm. So imagine a country like Ukraine entering this okay. and the damage, that the, the damage that could be done to the rest of the European Union 
in terms of fund distribution and just wrap it up very quickly <laughs> not really really quick but no, 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 just to offer just to offer you guys at least a solution you know at least a perspective forward because realistically the countries will not like this this is how it goes so either we amend uh, the cap or most likely the ukraine will never enter and by amending the cap i would say like instead of we having more land more payments uh, rule we should have like something like uh, ecological and uh, environmental objectives to replace the current criteria it's just a food for thought okay so a long point to justify number 10 he he was essentially justifying the conference on the future of europe by talking about that's also gonna say no i I have to say (laughs) i I will say no i'm so i'm sorry but no you were talking about like we need to reform cap we need to reform but the conference of europe is complete come on the conference of europe is completely out of the scope of the european union revision i'm sorry i'm sorry no 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 yes no no i'm sorry i was i'm sorry i will refrain I will rephrase. Uh, I was referring to the the thing that we dropped out. The the the, EPC, the community. Yeah, the EPC. Yes. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I, I misunderstood. So I misunderstood. You are right. But see, uh, here's an argument for not putting it at number ten. I would put the Conference on the Future of Europe at number ten because it's out of these, it's one of the top ten most important things purely because of the impact it will have politically. Yeah. Okay, and but then one so we would go number. We would go number nine. And the enlargement enlargement could be go to number 10. Sure, but I I would also argue that all the structural challenges, all the financial challenges, all the political challenges that you've actually put in place for EU enlargement, particularly with Ukraine, actually merits it being higher than number nine, which is why I would sit at number six. Ah, okay, we can can discuss that, but uh, we're talking just about the enlargement. Uh, Because we're linking these, should EU enlargement be nine or ten? I think it should be ten. Ten? We'll put it ten. I mean, if we put that at 10, we should just get rid of consequences for future Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because and it's one or the other. And uh, there is a point that I've been waiting to raise, and we need to start uh, sort of... Uh, I understand <laughs> wrapping make up. progress. Yeah. Um, Apologies, it's n- a long episode. N- number three. Uh, so, j- just to let the people know, number one is uh, Russia's illegal war of aggression uh, in Ukraine. Number two is energy security. Number four is NATO expansion. Number five is food security. Number three needs to be the 20th National Congress of the Chinese Communist Party. Because apart from the fact that some people may view it as something procedural or something bureaucratic, this has shown several things. Number one, it has shown that nothing that has happened in China uh, or internationally has dented Xi's grip on power. If, If anything, it has concentrated it even further. For the first time in China's history, we're seeing a Minister of State Security become a Politburo member. We're seeing that uh, the Politburo and the Central Committee are all being filled with, uh, with loyalists, which is something that China is completely moving away from its, its uh, previous model. Um, we're seeing a China that's becoming much more assertive with Taiwan, which is extremely important for, for the, the entire world. Because the first reflex that I had, uh, the second actually, the first one was how horrible that this is going on again in European soil and people are dying for absolutely nothing for a man's ego. And the second was that this is a, what's happening in Ukraine now is a testing ground and China is looking with yeah. a very close eye because they're thinking to myself, what Russia sees in Ukraine, I see in Taiwan. And what they see our reaction to Ukraine is what they might expect our reaction would be or could be 
in case of a similar situation in uh, in Taiwan, and that's in incredibly important. Now, I, I'm not taking positions. I'm just saying that as an observation, it's extremely important to them, and uh, it's becoming something that they're increasingly uh, more aggressive on at home and uh, abroad. So a lot of individuals that were strong reformists and market-oriented individu uh, individuals at the high echelons of the Chinese Communist Party retired, sort of like uh, a man uh, by the name of Hu Hintao that was escorted in a very friendly manner out of the great hall of the people, as uh, one might say. And um, loyalists were filled, filled everywhere. And on top of all of that, we are witnessing now extremely prominent uh, unrest and protests all across uh, China. We're seeing it in Beijing, in in uh, Shanghai, in Wuhan, in Urumqi, in uh, Xi'an, in uh, Shenzhou, in uh, Shanghai, even Hong Kong. Yeah. Uh, I, I read today that it had awakened. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I, I when I wrote this point up, I thought it also symbolized the rise of Xi Jinping into his position of another. The, the consolidation. Yeah, certainly uh, consolidation. Yeah, definitely. I would perhaps say, looking at our current list, I know, Julian, you want to make a point. I would maybe lobby for six just because I think inflation, Inflation Reduction Act is still on the table. But, Julian, you want to make mm -hmm. some Chinese mm -hmm. points. I disagree. <laughs> so, not good enough. One reason why I disagree is that I... Nobody expected Xi to move. No one expected him to go as far as he did, but they expected him to consolidate his power anyway. He's been doing it for since he got into power now. The reformers were basically all chased out regardless, or they decided that it was more profitable to them to fall in line regardless. To their survival. Uh, yeah, exactly. So nothing really changed. I mean, a few people left, sure, but they were mostly doing what Xi told them to regardless, and he stopped listening to them three or four years ago. And I would, I mean, because we're looking at what the big news for Europe was, what happens in China doesn't necessarily matter as much as we think to Europeans because of the fact that Supply we... No, but listen, yeah, yeah, listen, yeah, yeah, yeah. listen, Supply listen. Change. The reason why is because we expect everything that happens in China to happen in China regardless. What happens in Man, Europe actually changes much, has more of an impact on China because the way that China is having to readjust its policy and its wolf warrior diplomacy to what happens in the West. I understand what you mean about the COVID thing, which I would say if we're going for that argument, we should have COVID up there, not the 20th National Congress, because the Congress itself didn't change anything. And on ago. top of that, <laughs> the issue as well is that Sure, supply chains are important, but what happens with supply chains in China that impact Europe wasn't affected by this because they're following the same line. You could argue that Have the next five-year plan... I don't need to. I live in Brussels. Exactly. But <laughs> what's happening is that the Congress itself hasn't changed anything. We can talk about China itself, which is important, it's but it hasn't changed anything. It's a symbol. Yes, it's symbolic. What, what it's not impactful. It's extremely it's, it's No, it's symbolic. Because I, I, I was honestly, like, when they escorted the the former uh, Chinese premier uh, yes. during the party congress, like, that to me was... Uh, it's symbolic. If I may, sure. it was I, a demonstration of fucking power. What we need here, sure. we need here is a tiebreaker. But it, it, and Zhao, you haven't said anything. Would you like but to... But just very quickly, it didn't platform. actually change anything industrially, economically, politically or diplomatically for Europe. It was just, oh, Xi's consolidated power, so we just keep working with you. 
but I think it might be the milestone we look back on as being the relevant one where the textbooks say, this is where it all started going, all right? But Zhao, do you want to make a point on this? I, I mean, both both of you have actually very good points on that, I give you. Um, on a scenario, like a context point of view, Nikos has, uh, has made his case clear. But on the other side, I don't know if it is like that, that really important, that, you know, that uh, event per se, you know, to actually be, ma it is an important case, but actually to be making the list. Should, oh, so you're not saying it should be in the top 10? Maybe. And these are the elections equivalent? Yeah, yeah no, 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 wait. You made your <laughs> statement, you, I think you said uh, the Chinese, should go to third place. I think you, you said that in the beginning. Yes. I think what I'm saying is that I, th I think it is an important th subject, like context-wise, but I don't think it is worth to go to the third place. Julian uh, or Joe? I could settle. I could settle maybe because we still have inflation to speak about. Rule of law. Uh, yes, we still have the rule of law. Of the future of Europe. Yeah. German so defense policy. German position. defense policy. So I don't know. I mean, can I? I actually don't know. Uh, I think for Europe itself, it doesn't actually matter we have more decided. than the things out there. We have decided. It, it, We're settling for I mean, number nine. Uh, no. Just to make oh, it real. No, no, no. I, I mean oh. no, no. Oh, sorry. <laughs> because I still don't know. I mean, six, I think compared 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 with, for instance, I don't know, compared with the the German decision of increasing their spending, and compared to the inflation. Uh, because I think they actually deserve to be on the top ten list. I don't know. Cuts. Yes, and cuts. yes, and you still have the fund cuts. But I mean, okay, that, we, that we will discuss about we will discuss about that. I will say I will say maybe I'll vote. Uh, and this time I will be overruled, but I will say that it stays out. I know, I agree, 100%. It should not be on the top 10. No, man. Maybe 19th, maybe even 36th. I, I heard someone say that it's a tiebreaker, so I think I... NATO was making, apart from the fact that they were the, the organization was built to contain the Soviet Union back then, the new Cold War is very clearly to the east irrespective of what's happening. Okay, uh, that's fine. I, I, I do agree. I didn't change that. Yeah. Yeah, the Congress demonstrated that. No, it but was, it was something that we already no, knew. I mean, sorry, it was we, something we that it was already there. I actually, I actually we go with. Start moving on. Yeah. So, oh, man. I really want to. I would actually all your points. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mention for now. Uh, infl inflation <laughs> I, I, number. Inflation number three. Inflation number three. Inflation number three. We can agree. Uh, okay. Inflation or inflation reduction act. Inflation. Inflation. Yes. We 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 will I speak think about that. Inflation reduction one. act fall, falls under inflation. Uh, <laughs> I actually actually would like to separate the two cases, but I will make a stand for that. Okay. <laughs> okay. So inflation number three. That was a quick uh, quick yeah. decision. Um, we still have left just to run over it. Cut out COP27. We have Conference on the Future of Europe, the German Defense Policy, and Hungary Rule of Law, which I think are the key standouts, as well as your weird DMA DSA shout. 
But uh, oh, <laughs> yeah, that win. That was that was weird, man. <laughs> it's so important, guys. Come on, it's transforming the way businesses are going to operate in Europe. Come on. Yeah, but yeah. That, that, but that's exactly it. In and Europe. you think the Congress is more important to Europe than the yeah. GSA? Yes, I agree. Actually, <laughs> yes, what? Man. Yeah, it's it's our strategic future. You know, it, it's a direct power rivalry. But regardless, we we close. But the it's book not direct. On that. They fight with uh, America. Currently, we don't have the geopolitical man, power. What about the, direct the Chinese rivalry? alleged or whatever Chinese police stations in yeah. European yeah. member yeah. states? Yeah. Like that's a completely different issue that's not the congress i had it in my honorable mentions that, yes in the honorable is mentions it, no, i would is it regardless we decided and we have two spots left number six and number nine epc uh, can, I, can i go for number nine maybe to go for it so because i think i think uh, the other guys have a, a better claim for the sixth spot than i do so I will concede on that. And uh, for the number nine, I would say like German defense uh, defense policy. I don't, I don't think anything. It was really hyped up in February, and it, I just didn't see like the again, substance. Again, of it, it, it is something. I think it's I kind of an historical event. Mm. First, let's see. Let's see this. It could be. E- yes, it could be, but in a way, it also is. <laughs> because <laughs> yeah, that's everything. No, 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 no. No, no, no. But you, you will see. At least I hope that uh, that my arguments are convincing enough for this. Um, so, Germany reunified thanks to the accords and the concessions that they made that they will not be spending a lot of money in uh, in the military, and they will be like constraining their military up to three hundred and sixty thousand personnel. This was, and also like uh, not have, renouncing having a, a nuclear bomb. These were the agreements set back in the 90s. Nowadays, we see a completely different political context internationally, and we see very uh, subtly Germany falling back on the promise that they made back in the 90s. That was a clear condition for unification. Uh, b- maybe nowadays we, we have a different look towards Germany, but traditionally, Europe always feared the increased on military power of Germany. And this can actually be a response to another thing. We, I think we all agree that this crisis shown that G- Germany's influence was mainly economic and soft power wise. And their dependence was proven yet again and their bad political choices because they relied a lot on Russia. Nowadays, maybe they are trying to compensate, and in the future, we could see like uh, more assertive Germany in the, p- in the political international sphere and also in Europe because they actually have hard power. And also, just to wrap it up, they reached the two percent, they want to reach the two percent that was promised uh, by all the member states of NATO, by all the members and of NATO as a country that actually fulfills that 2% quota <laughs> coming from one of those countries, it's easier said than done. Because you can't go from having one point something to two from one year to the next. This is unfortunately not a wartime uh, but they can. E- economy kick, can they? Because how much of those investments have actually materialized, do you know? I mean, I still don't know. I, they have right. other, I, I, no, 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 but they have other priorities now. Huh? Exactly. So they have they have the energy prices. Exactly. And have, we yeah. don't know so what happens when eventually, at some point, the war in Ukraine ends. Of course, it should be on the terms of Ukraine and under no s- pressure from anybody else. 
but at some point the war will uh, will end. So I I don't know if we lose the momentum um, then because I'm more excited to see what we as a European Union have to do like joint procurement uh, uh, joint procurement schemes. For what? Uh, for military? Yeah, for for, okay. for equipment. And uh, and this and this and, and this can actually and it, this yeah, can actually be ruining the, the things because up until now France has been the leading proponent for a European army. So nowadays, nowadays, if Germany actually decides to balance up the scales, let's see how it goes. Okay, yeah. let's just you know th this could actually have a lot of impact, not only historically but also structurally in the European Union. That's why I do believe that this is an important moment Fair in our, in our so re recent I, I history. I recognize, I think that's a great And that it should be going to the ninth. I'll give Julian the last point, and then we'll, if you could take a minute, and then we'll collectively decide. I'm the tiebreaker so this time. I agree that we need to wait and see what happens, because you're right, we need to see how they actually deliver on these promises, because the SPD-led coalition has a habit of promising things and then falling over repeatedly. <laughs> But I agree that it's, it's a historical purely because of an ideological shift where Germany is finally comfortable with the idea of being a military power. And at the, European development, the level of European development when it comes to the military side of things, that's important purely because we can't have a multi-speed military yeah. Europe. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Politically and economically and in terms of accession, it sort of makes sense. Militarily, it's dead. So the fact that Germany has kind of reached the same point as France, Poland, Italy... Spain, Romania, the major military powers in Europe, it means that all the further developments ideologically, normatively, and in terms of just raw defense procurement, wanting to go in this direction, has happened. And on that sense, I would actually say it should probably be a six if we take it from the European point of view. However... One big problem that we have. One thing that's where uh, it's. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I was going to make a stupid joke, but I'm not even going to bother. But you one problem. Have you seen here? Like, it's cold. The, I'm man. telling you with the. Or is someone just saying bad jokes? What, what, okay. please, problem, please continue. One problem that we have, however, is that Germany isn't taking European cooperation at defense level and procurement in general. And despite the jokes from the Greek. The issue that we the have is that the, the Germans are continuing <laughs> to buy equipment from non-European procurement. We still have the issue where a German procurement drive for anti-air uh, defenses and uh, munitions went to the US and to Israel. You know, is it really revolution to keep doing everything they've been doing on that front as well? And Turkey. So, and Turkey too. So, just to finish this off then. Should it be on the list? Yes or no? Absolutely not. I think it's a great point. I think you make great arguments, but no. Yes. I didn't make I it. I do believe it should stand nine. And I think we cut off the Chinese Communist Party to appease oh, too much of ours displeasure. So we'll cut it off here because we still have two, I think, left. The Conference on the Future of Europe or Hungary Rule of Law. And I think, does anybody have any objections between either of those two making the top ten? Uh, uh, I would prefer... To maintain um, to maintain the German defense but policy, it's, it's sadly it's been cut. Oh, it has been it has been yeah. decided. Yeah, it has oh, been okay. decided. Okay. Can we at least play rock paper scissors? Uh, yeah, it I, gave, I gave you last time. Like right? uh, Jean, you okay. fight okay. for okay. okay. It will be it will be interesting. Let's play rock paper scissors. Rock paper scissors snap on snap we go. Okay, one two three. Snap. Come on. Rock paper scissors snap. 
It's out. It's out. Them. You have the team done. Them. Okay. <laughs> All right, guys. Um, okay. Hungry rule of law. Is it six or nine? Nine. And nine. Under, under protest. Six. Six. Uh, sorry. Uh, I'm just on strike for the rest of the uh, Yes, I'm going to be on strike. Uh, nine. Nine? I think nine's win then. Uh, we'll put it at nine then. I, th I, I still think that the Germans should stay there. And Six. Yes. Okay. I'm sorry. Uh, I, re I really, I really, I really like. I mean, between <laughs> between Hungary rule of law and Germany, you know I, th I think I think it is more important. Uh, mm. I'd be willing German to entertain Twitter at number six. No. 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 It's no. fun. No. <laughs> Listen, the the tech bro nonsense is no. No, but like uh, I, I, I think. Uh, I do think it's a big event, right? It's it's a big event because jokes aside, I don't think it's <laughs> actually <laughs> fun. Uh, <laughs> I I think um, we are seeing a person with a lot of money, not afraid to stand up for whatever it is that uh, he believes his version of freedom of speech is, and we're pushing the limits of not just European um, legislation for. Uh, the the internet, uh, given that you also mentioned the DSA and the DMA, because he said, he, first of all, he's let go of his entire, uh, and, and some resigned, but he's let go of his entire staff in Brussels, which means that uh, abiding with very complex EU legislation of the digital space is not going to be easy for a company like Twitter. He seems to be pushing the boundaries of what is okay in the United States as well. And uh, we're entering a bit of a of a specific, let's say, time, a very critical juncture in terms of cyber uh, digital uh, freedom of, uh, okay. of speech. You've made your pitch. We'll only do yes or no on this. Should it be in the top? No. Should it be six? No? no? I don't agree. It will not be in And the top I still six. protest oh about man. the German defense it's policy. We have to we're trying to claim that the sixth most important thing that happened <laughs> this year in Europe is a rich man flailing like a lunatic yeah. and about to get kicked off of uh, every Apple yeah. device in the world yes. and probably kicked out of Europe. Yes. That's I, I totally agree with Julian's point. This? I mean, it's like seeing a crazy man in the middle of the streets, like rolling around and being like, oh, yes, I'll eat it. Let's restore some sanity. I think the the, the the shout that most deserves be six from our remaining options is conference on the future of Europe. Ah, no, man, it's too hard. Uh, hey, you, you voted down the uh, GDPR. So I, mean, I, I mean, I mean, uh, <laughs> for me, just to wrap this thing, I think like the conference, I, I would strike out angry rule of law. I would place there the German defense policy. No. And no. I, would, I would have the conference. Uh, on I would six. actually put Hungary. Okay, conference six. No, no, but on the, under this condition, oh. huh? Actually, I would say, I would agree that, I mean, I, Conference on the Future of Europe needs to be up there. Not because, again, it may not actually become the most important thing in Europe. It may not actually be something that changes Europe fundamentally, but it changed the discussion. It yep. brought in the population. Yes. It changed yes. the discussion on treaty change because it became more acceptable purely because everybody saw, oh, actually, people kind of want this. And it also brought in uh, a lot of discussions regarding, for example, the veto. They're now actually seriously discussing in the council how they can get rid of the veto to respond to these aims. QMV. I, 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 I will propose I mean, something. It, it, could, it could go for six for me. I just would like to understand and to hear from you guys the arguments on the, on the rule of law because we didn't just, yeah. we just decide. Let, let, okay, it goes uh, there. I'm, and, uh, I'm okay to... Uh, let, let's put it six and then we'll briefly explain the rule of law. Then. Yeah. Uh, I can, I can do you want to take that? So from my point of view, it's... I mean, I personally, if we had the German defense policy revolution, oh. I would have actually had that at number nine instead. Yeah. But because the uh, dictators to my left 
decided that it had yeah, to be gone. Yeah, it was really the, I mean, talking about rule of law, and then they just say, they just say, okay, we will unilaterally on this side of the table decide that Hungary is going inside. It has nothing to do with anything. I mean, we didn't even discuss what kind, what type of democracy is this? Yes, exactly. It's a Chinese democracy. Yes, 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 yes. But the reason why I say rule of law should be at number nine is because of the fact that, like I said earlier on, the fact that we have Hungary being finally being punished and having funding cuts, which will damage Orban's position in a critical juncture of his dictatorship, and will embolden pro-European forces in this country, and I've got this from uh, friends of mine who are activists out there, it has a big impact because you have the Commission and the EU institutions finally saying, okay, you want to keep doing this and lying to us and disrespecting EU fundamental rights and fundamental concepts like democracy and political freedom, then we will cut off your funding. Because we know that Orban is almost entirely yeah. dependent on yeah. EU funding. Yeah. Right I mean, now. I mean, I sorry, can I just make a small... It's not about punishing anyone. It's no. It's about upholding the law yeah. and the European acquis, and they're different things. Because you sign up to be a member of this family. You yeah. trade in something to receive something else. And Obviously, don't. Exactly, but this is not about, about punishment. punishment. No, 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 no. De facto. This, this is about justice. It's different. And that's why it's specifically on the rule of law that the, the funding cuts are taking place because this is not about vindictiveness. This is not about punishments on necessarily vindictiveness. It's it, it's very much about justice, I, and it's also very historic because for the first time the EU has chosen to the Commission, together with uh, subsequently the, the the institutions are in the process of cutting uh, cutting not all some of these. Um, funds and it's uh, and it's clear because uh, th there are areas of the acquis that is not being respected. But linguistically the argument doesn't hold up because you talk about justice which is a legal concept and in the law, uh, when you break the law you're punished. Concept. Well, l l let's, uh, we've decided on the it list. Can also be we need to wrap up exactly. sometime. Yeah, but and even then. No, but what I mean is, I still... I still you mentioned German Defense Revolution again. <laughs> Sorry. There we go. And the list is done. And I will read out the list one final time. No complaints. I know we're all leaving this very happy. <laughs> I'm, I'm okay, I'm okay. So at number one is the Russian war of aggression in Ukraine. Number two is energy security. Number three is inflation. Number four is NATO expansion. Number five is food security. Number six, somewhat surprisingly, conference in the future of Europe yeah, rose through the ranks. Number seven is the U.S. midterm elections. Number eight is the trend of election polarization, spelled with an S, not a Z, apparently. Uh, <laughs> number nine is hungry rule of law funding cuts. And number 10 is EU enlargement. And that is our top 10 political stories of Guys, 2020. Guys, we did it and in sub two hours. I'm proud of us. Yeah, I, I didn't expect it to last this long. Should we... Uh, just before we wrap up, do you think any of our lists were actually close to this? Um, on, on, my, on my list, I only had out the German defense policy. Really? Yes, the rest I have everything. Aside from the, the Italian elections bec and the French elections, because we, we decided to join in together. Mm -hmm. So the rest I have everything. My list too, actually. I'm only missing one, which is the 20th uh, National Congress of the Chinese Communist Party. 
Guys, we'll do an episode on what we expect that's to happen. Remember his argument. That's why he said. Oh, no, no, we, no. We, scra- we scrapped out the. We scrapped the Chinese uh, Congress, yeah, yeah, yeah. and now we we're going to scrap this. A one. very yeah. unpleasant conversation in 2023. I hope that we won't, but I'm afraid we will. Listen. Yeah. But what China does is not dictated by the Congress. It's dictated by Xi, who hey, is staying I, in place I, anyway. I, I didn't mention anything or anyone. Well, on <laughs> that note, we need episode. to start wrapping up. I think we've passed the hour and a half mark. So uh, thank yes, you. If you're did. still watching, if you're still listening, um, we appreciate the support. Drop a like. Drop a subscription. Um, Share the video. <laughs> thank you. Um, and yeah. And subscribe. Yes. I mentioned that. Yes. Thank you. It never hurts to reiterate. Um, <laughs> and thank you to my lovely panelists um, amongst me for spending their torturous Tuesday night going through this for two hours. It's a pleasure. I could not imagine a better way to spend my Saturday. Yes, I do, I do agree. It's a fun time. It's okay. my Tuesday. On that note, I think we're wrapping up. So, goodbye, everybody. Ciao, goodbye. Give it in, boys. <laughs> Chinese Congress. Are you uh, out of your mind? We didn't speak about hey, the... Hey, bro. I'm going to 